Welcome to Kingdom Testimonies. This is Lisa. Today is Thursday, November 4th, 2021. I know I normally don't record on a Thursday, but it has been so busy. I know you hear that from me all the time. But I had to help my daughter get moved, and that took Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I know I did say that, you know, Monday there wouldn't be a podcast. And normally there isn't one on Thursday because I do the blog, which I figured out today how to seamlessly do this from my laptop. I got a new laptop. Um, I used to be tech savvy. I kind of gave it up for a while and now it's like, oh, everything changed. Um, But I got a new laptop. I don't want to use my phone anymore because Um, a couple of times now, it has lost the recording. And like you, I just don't have an extra 30 minutes. Well, apparently you do have an extra 30 minutes because you're listening to me. So anyway, um, but anyway, so we got my daughter all moved. I am going back in tomorrow to help her. Um, she's tearing out a wall and do things like that. So there won't be a podcast tomorrow. I'm thinking what I'm going to do is finish James Hudson Taylor today. And I we got uh, like six chapters left, but they're short. It appears they're short. So I'll stop talking and maybe we can finish this today. If it goes long um, and you want to hear the ending, you know, you maybe can pause it and and, and go back or something like that. But... So what I figured out that I need to do is use my voice recorder on my laptop because there's no pause on Anchor podcasting. Um, And so then that way I can trim it or do whatever if I need to cough, sneeze, go get something to drink, whatever. I can, I'm using my voice recorder on my laptop and then I can upload it and it seems to work really well. I've done a test thing, so, all right. Okay, so now uh, James is in the thick of his missionary work. Um, we left off where he had to sleep. It doesn't say where he slept. It was like two o'clock in the morning and he was left to spend the night as best he could. So he's definitely had some hard times. Definitely had some hard times. Okay, when the unexpected came. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Was a text which seemed to apply to weary and footsore young Taylor during the small hours of the morning when he found himself opposite a closed temple. Upon the stone steps in front of it, he lay down, putting his money under his head for a pillow. Uh, Let's see, my computer's doing something weird. Didn't expect that. Oh, it just went off of uh, Wi-Fi. I apologize. I'm still working this out. Okay. Um, So he's using his money for a pillow, which I'm sure those were just coins. And of course that's so no one would 
steal his money. In a few minutes, he would have been asleep, but he heard in the silence of the night quiet footsteps coming toward him. One of those beggars, so common in China. Mr. Taylor did not move, but watched every motion while praying a prayer for God's protection. Slip, slipping stealthily on, the intruder looked for some time to make sure the sleeper did not hear, then began to feel gently about him. What do you want? asked Mr. Taylor in the quietest tone possible. The silent intruder stepped quickly away without answering. When the man was out of sight, the lone traveler put as much of his cash in his pocket as he could and the rest up his sleeve, then used a stone for a pillow. When about overcome with sleep, once more he was aroused by the approach of two men who began to feel under his head for the money. Again Mr. Taylor spoke, and they sat down at his feet. What are you doing? he asked. We are passing the night outside the temple like you are, came the wily answer. There's plenty of room on the other side. You had better leave this side for me, suggested Taylor. But as they did not move, the Englishman in Chinese dress sat up with his back against the wall. You had better lie down and sleep, said one of the intruders, or you will not be able to work tomorrow. Don't be afraid, we shall not leave you, and shall see that no one does you harm. Listen to me, said the missionary with firmness. I do not want your protection. I am not a Chinese, and I do not worship your vain idols. I worship God. He is my father, and I trust in him. I know well what you are and what you wish to do, and shall keep my eye on you, and shall not sleep. Then one of them went away, only to come back soon with a third party. Mr. Taylor kept on silently praying for protection. Several times they ventured nearer to see if he were sleeping. Finally, he began to sing hymns, sing hymns and to repeat scripture texts, much to the annoyance of his unwanted companions. Just before dawn, they went away and Hudson slept a little. With neither servant nor luggage and without having reached Ningpo at all, it was the following Saturday morning that he arrived in Shanghai. The missionary body there offered to make up a purse so he could replace his goods, but Mr. Taylor refused with thanks, saying God would pro provide otherwise. The sale of some of his things at the south gate brought in something, and he was just about ready to set out again for Ningpo when a letter came from Mr. Berger in England. The letter had been mailed even before Mr. Taylor left Swatow. It read, Please accept the enclosed as a token of love from myself and my dear wife. That check for 40 pounds equaled $200, and Hudson Taylor again rejoiced in the scripture, Before they call, I will answer. Isaiah 65:24. A very pleasant change and rest from the taxing life of the past eight months was his stay in Ningpo. The friendly attitude of the missionary boy made him feel quite at home, and after living so constantly among the Chinese, it was good for him to have this association with people of his own race once more. His former colleague, Dr. Parker, had a good practice among the missionaries and had also bought land in an excellent location for the building of a hospital for Chinese. Many of the pioneers of Christian work in Ningpo were still on the field. Also, the first school ever established by Protestant missionaries in China for girls was still being carried on by its founder, Miss Eldersee, and her two very able helpers, Mrs. Barella and Maria Dyer. These two young ladies were born in the Far East and possessed special talent in speaking the Chinese language. Their grandfather had been an admiral in the English Navy during the time of Queen Victoria, and their father went to China as a missionary long before white men were permitted to enter that country. 
Consequently, for 16 years, his time and efforts were spent in Chinese settlements and neighboring places. How did uh, he did much in the manufacture of movable Chinese type by which portions of the gospel were printed and sent into the country? Happy as Mr. Taylor was among Ningpo friends, he felt that Swatow and Mr. Burns had a stronger claim upon him. From Dr. Parker, he bought a medical outfit to replace the one burnt in Shanghai. When nearly ready to leave, he was asked to wait a day or two for Mr. and Mrs. Wei, who were to make the same journey with their small children and would appreciate his assistance on the way. He was already helping Mr. Jones and his little son and saw no reason why he should not wait. But it proved to be a week before they really started. Winds were contrary, which made the voyage tedious. Both Mr. Jones and his child became very ill and required much nursing. News from Mr. Burns told over and over again how much Mr. Taylor was needed in Swatow and what a great work was waiting to be done. The Christian captain who had taken them to Swatow the first time was once more in Shanghai and would give Mr. Taylor free passage again. After hurriedly making ready his possessions, the hour for sailing on Thursday, October 9, 1856, found Hudson Taylor on board the ship. But almost at the last moment, he observed someone on shore beckoning to him. As the anchor was not hauled in yet, he ventured off to receive whatever message the man had. It was a letter from Mr. Burns that read thus, If Mr. Taylor has not started yet, tell him I have been arrested and sen sent to Canton. Thus far we have escaped punishment from the Chinese. My native helpers are still bound and in danger of their lives. Mission premises are empty. Shocking news. Whatever can it mean? Medicine chest destroyed by fire. Robbery on way to Ningpo. Delay in returning from there. Tedious journey with sick man. Now a closed door in the south. Could it be that all he and Mr. Burns had, lo had looked forward to was not of the Lord? So many unexpected things had come. But thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. An age-long motto, chapter 15. The whole year that followed found Mr. Taylor dividing his time between Shanghai and Ningpo. New war difficulties had arisen so that to do inland work was almost impossible during those months, but he was feeling more and more that he should have some settled form of missionary work. James Hudson Taylor was a man who lived within his salary. He never went into debt. He knew the society was in debt and that his own salary, small as it was, came from borrowed money. So for conscientious reasons, three years and three months after his arrival in China, he resigned his connection with the Chinese Evangelization Society. Afterwards in Ningpo, at the Bridge Street House and at the Quen Kyo Tio, his efforts were centered by day and by night in medical work, public preaching, and personal dealing with inquirers. It was his hope that the raising up of a native church would supply preachers for greater opportunities by and by. All this meant much, and he was now spending his fourth summer in China. But it was not the hard work nor the hot weather that caused his greatest trial. He had a natural heart like any other normal man and craved companionship. He had met the one he loved a long time before, but knowing his line of work was so unsettled and having no fixed salary to depend upon, he had tried to forget that he had ever seen such a lady, but love would not be forgotten. At last a brief line was written asking for further acquaintance. Had the young lady acted upon the counsel of her own heart, the reply would have been favorable. 
But her elder sister and Miss Eldersey discouraged it, especially was the latter very indignant. She expressed her opinion thus, You are a refined, educated, and lovely young woman whom many a man would be glad to have. Why think of that man in Chinese dress who is neither ordained to the ministry nor eligible to a medical degree? degree? Simply write that he is never to mention this to you again. The, young, uh, the younger woman obeyed the elder one, though it gave her much pain to do so. Poor Mr. Taylor, thinking this was the young lady's own attitude, felt much humbled and tried to put her out of his mind. But in two young hearts at Ningpo were unspoken longings just to see each other, though the one felt he scarcely, scarcely dared to look into her beautiful face again, and the other thought probably she was not cared for any more. So on they went, each about his own business, absorbing themselves in the daily routine of duties. I didn't know this was going to turn into a love story. <clears throat> While Hudson Taylor was confined to his room a month with serious illness, he had much time for quiet communion with God. Over and over through his mind passed thoughts of the different experiences he had had during those three and a half years in China. Like the prophet of old in 1 Samuel 7.12, over each of his past experiences could he set up his spiritual Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And like faithful Abraham on the mountain of sacrifice, he could say, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Genesis 22:14. So impressed was he with these texts that he had a native helper make a pair of long scrolls on one of which he wrote the Chinese characters for Ebenezer, Ebenezer on the other those for Jehovah Jireh. These were hung in the little sitting rooms at Quen Kao Tio, and when the Chinese Christians came in, they could read the characters, but could not understand the meaning of such a combination. But as the missionary regained, regained strength and was able to converse with his Chinese friends, he took great pleasure in explaining to them how those texts had been woven into his very life during his few years in the service of God. And it may be of interest to my young readers to mention here that in chat, channels and homes today of the great missions of which Hudson Taylor was the founder, scrolls bearing these same texts appear in a noticeable place. The motto of the mission has really become, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us, the Lord will provide. One afternoon in July, the ladies' prayer meeting, represented by all the missionary societies, was held at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Jones, with whom Mr. Taylor lived. During the meeting, almost without warning, a terrific storm came up and the rain fell in torrents. The ladies were delayed in returning home because of having to wait for sedan chairs. Mr. Jones and Mr. Taylor, too, were late that evening in coming from their work. But when they arrived, they found that there were still two ladies waiting, one of whom was Miss Maria Dyer. Go into my study, said Mr. Jones, who knew Mr. Taylor's desire for companionship, and I will see if an interview can be arranged. Finding the two ladies alone with Mrs. Jones, he returned to say that they would be glad for a little conversation. Hudson Taylor, without expecting that he would make every moment count for so much, not only obtained Miss Dyer's consent for him to write to her guardian uncle in England for permission, but also found that the burden of his heart had been poured out in the presence of them all. But what of Miss Dyer? Oh, there being only sympathetic friends present, she was not embarrassed. With her true womanly heart, she swept away the young man's fears by making known to him that she really cared and loved. So the letter was written, but they knew it would be at least four months before an answer could be received. 
a new and unexpected duty came to Mr. Taylor. On the compound of the Presbyterian mission lay a very sick man. For 10 years he had been a devoted missionary in China, but now he was a victim of the worst form of smallpox. Quarantine, of course, no one was to go near him except the one who was to become both nurse and doctor by day and by night. Of all the men and women in the little missionary circle in Ningpo, Hudson Taylor was the one whose offered help was accepted. Very much cast upon God was he during those terrible days and nights, but the young man counted it a privilege to administer to the needs of this brother in his dying hour. When it was all over, Mr. Taylor found himself in another predicament of which he had not thought before. While nursing, he often had to change his clothing, and to prevent spreading the disease to others, he could not again wear that clothing, but must burn it. To buy new ones would not take long, but having always shared his money so freely with others, he found he had but little left. Resorting again to prayer, he fully expected his needs to be supplied. And they were, but in an unthought-of way. A box, lost fifteen months before, turned up just at this time of need. It contained the clothing he required. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us, the Lord will provide. Blessing upon Blessing, Chapter 16 At the end of November 1857, James Hudson Taylor received a letter from London in which Miss Un Dyer's uncle kindly consented to his niece's engagement but requested that the marriage be delayed until she become of age. How could an interview be arranged? He knew unfavorable parties would not allow him on the compound where she lived. It would never do for her to go to his home. But a mutual friend solved the problem by inviting them to her home. Fifty years later, the joy of that moment had not left him. We sat side by side on the sofa, her hand clasped in mine, said Mr. Taylor. It never cooled, my love for her. It has not cooled now. Upon his arrival at the Presbyterian compound on the bright sunny morning of January 20th, 1858, James, James Hudson Taylor found friends present from all the different mission, missions, also officers from the British gunboats. Very sweet and fair, she looked in more than Hudson Taylor's eyes that day in her simple gray silk gown and wedding veil. He was wearing ordinary Chinese dress, and to some the contrast between them must have seemed remarkable. But to those who could see below the surface, the noteworthy thing about this wedding was the way in which the bride and groom were already perfect in one. A narrow Chinese street in front, a busy canal behind, a chapel below, which was often crowded with inquirers about the Jesus doctrine, and the beautiful heavens above stretching as a canopy over all. These marked the boundaries of the Bridge Street premises in Ningpo, which were modestly fitted out with Chinese furniture for the home of the newly married couple. But these premises were to have a greater significance than just that. They proved to be the cradle of the China Inland Mission and are still its oldest home. The Chinese converts were few at that time, but as had been his hope for many, very many months past, he was now building up a work from which was to come native evangelists, pastors and helpers by and by. Several hours a day were given to teaching the young Christians. At the public meeting every evening the little hall would be would be filled with people who were almost regular attendants. When that was over, any who wished could go, but the more interested ones would wait for three periods of study. The first period was devoted to a study of the Old Testament, spiritual lessons being drawn from the stories. In the second period, a chapter was read from some good book, such as Pilgrim's Progress. 
and the third a special passage from the New Testament would be discussed. But this was not all. The Chinese Christians were taught to observe Sunday as a day of worship. To some of them this meant persecution and financial loss, for the Chinese people, as a people, do not observe Sunday as a day of rest, but go on working the same as on any other day. Therefore the missionaries felt they must not fail in making the day worthwhile to their converts. They had special meetings morning, afternoon, and night for the inquirers and converts. Mrs. Taylor's work among the women and girls was a great asset to the mission. Being so thoroughly familiar with their language, she could easily get into their hearts and understand their daily problems. She also spent much time in teaching the women to read. Both Mr. and Mrs. Taylor impressed upon their converts the need of reading the Word of God. It was on June 26, 1858, that the Treaty of Tientsin was signed. This treaty gave foreigners the right to travel freely to the inland provinces. Those dark centers, hitherto closed to the gospel and everything foreign, were now open. How Mr. and Mrs. Taylor longed to enter. But what of these young Christians the Lord had given them? They were not spiritually strong enough to stand alone. What would be gained in running to save others if their absence would mean the loss of those already saved? So they stood faithfully by the little circle around them and in due time were richly rewarded. No less than six or seven of the converts around Mr. and Mrs. Taylor that winter afterwards became able workers in the China Inland Mission. Seeing how closely their lives were imitated by the converts, the young missionaries endeavored always to live so that they could say to them, Those things which ye have both learned and received, heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Conditions in that part of China were becoming rather disturbed. An anti-foreign feeling was sweeping over Ningpo because certain white men were stealing Chinese men and boys and shipping them to islands of the sea to become slaves on great plantations. The Chinese naturally took it for granted that all the white men in their country were helping in this traffic. So the lives of missionaries were much in danger. Many missionaries left the city to take refuge in better protected places. But Mr. and Mrs. Taylor would not leave their native Christians, whose lives were in as much danger as their own. Those were days of great suspense, when they longed for quietness and rest. Mr. Taylor could not protect his dear young wife from a knowledge of what was going on inside, but he made arrangements for a rapid escape, should such become necessary. Waiting in readiness in the canal at the back door was a boat. From their bedroom window upstairs was attached a very strong rope, by which they could let themselves down into the boat below should the worst come. So those were restless hours and days, and great would have been their anxiety had it not been for the peace of God filling their hearts. It was in these circumstances on the 31st of July, 1859, when the thermometer stood at 104 degrees in the coolest place in the house, that the long-cherished hopes of Mr. and Mrs. Taylor Wolf were fulfilled. They could find no sweeter, truer name than Grace for the little daughter that came to them that day. Chapter 17 More Than They Thought or Asked Four motherless little tots for Dr. Parker to care for, and one of them very ill, was the shocking news which spread quickly in the foreign settlement of Ningpo upon the sudden death of Mrs. Parker. Their building plans had already been completed, which included a splendid hospital, dispensary, chapel, and dwelling house. But a sudden grief brought Dr. Parker to realize how much his own health had been reduced by five years spent in China. All he felt able to do was to take his family home to relatives in Scotland. 
but what was to be done with this hospital full of patients? What with the crowded dispensary every day with people needing his help? No other doctor was free to take his place, yet to close down seemed out of the question. It came as a great surprise to Mr. and Mrs. Taylor when Dr. Parker asked them to take over this prosperous work. Upon their knees in earnest prayer they sought the will of the Lord. Did they not have several very capable native workers already? Why should they allow either the hospital or the dispensary to be closed? As to funds, well, Dr. Parker had little to leave, but prayer had not lost its power, or if it had, they might as well retire from the field. Strong, therefore, in the inward assurance that God had opened up this greater sphere of usefulness for them, Mr. and Mrs. Taylor left the Bridge Street work largely to the care of their colleagues, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and prepared to move to Dr. Parker's. Little as Mrs. Taylor realized it, her husband could hardly have taken these greater responsibilities had it not been for her valuable assistance. She relieved him of all account-keeping, correspondence, household cares, management of servants, and to a great extent, direction of his hospital staff. She even found time to do a great deal in the wards among women patients, and spent many hours in caring for both souls and bodies of those in the dispensary. Thus her beloved husband had freedom from these cares to direct the large establishment and give himself more exclusively to hospital and spiritual work. His heart continually drew upon divine resources. How well he well knew that the greatness of his outward work could not be sustained were he to cease the inward cry to him upon whom his success depended. Calling together his assistants then, he explained the true state of affairs. Dr. Parker left money to meet expenses of the current month, but after that they must look directly to the Lord for supplies. He would not guarantee stated salaries because he would not go into debt, whatever happened. Therefore, any who wished to do so were at liberty to seek other positions, though he should be glad to have them stay if they were prepared to trust the promises of God. As Mr. Taylor expected, those who were not wholehearted Christians did leave, thus making places for the Bridge Street workers who had already been taught to trust God for the temporal as well as the spiritual. Even all the patients knew upon what basis the hospital was run now, so with eagerness they watched the outcome. Dr. Par Dr. Parker's money was finished and Hudson Taylor's own supplies were low, but daily he and his band of faithful workers placed the need before him whom they served. And this was one of the sorest tests Mr. Taylor had ever experienced on this line, for now so much more was involved. One morning the cook appeared to say to his master that the last bag of rice had been opened. Then the Lord's time for helping us must be close at hand, was his reply. Just so. Before that bag of rice was finished, a check for $250 came from Mr. Berger of faraway England. The beauty of this gift was that when Mr. Berger's letter was written, Mrs. Parker's death had not yet occurred. So, of course, Mr. Berger knew nothing of the increased needs of Hudson Taylor at that particular time. No wonder Mr. and Mrs. Taylor and their staff were overcome with joy and praise. The patients in the hospital hardly knew what to make of the song and shouts of joy. But how they listened, those men and women, who had known nothing all their lives but blank, empty heathenism. Where is the idol that can do anything like that, they asked. Have they ever delivered us in our troubled troubles or answered prayer after this sort? But James Hudson Taylor had learned before leaving England to move man through God by prayer alone. Chapter 18 The Furlough, New Mission Founded 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, was fulfilled in a very real way in the case of him whose life we are tracing. During his first year in charge of the hospital and chapel handed over by Dr. Parker, Mr. Taylor had the joy of seeing many sin-sick souls healed as well of, as of giving relief to hundreds of suffering bodies. But the strength of this missionary was taxed to the utmost. He got only a few hours sleep out of every 24 and was constantly giving out temporal, physical, and spiritual help to all around him. As a result of this strenuous life and of his having deprived himself so often of real necessities during his first four years in China, now at the end of his six years in the Far Eastern land, Dr. Taylor had about reached the limit of his physical endurance. Seeing such a vast open field before them, both he and Mrs. Taylor had keen longings to travel far into the interior provinces which were now open to the influences of Europe and America. Long and earnest were the many prayers they offered for helpers to come out from the homeland, and homeland hearts were being prepared too to hear the call necessary for God to make if those oft-repeated prayers were to be answered. The appeal from China was finally put into letter form and mailed to England. The help needed was five fellow missionaries willing for the same simple line of things which they themselves had. But in his providence, God wished to use Dr. Taylor in the homeland to stimulate sympathy for missions to help him make his own personal appeal for helpers. His health continued to fail until it was evident that the long sea voyage to England was the only hope of his life. Reluctantly, therefore, the last goodbye was said to all that was dear in Ningpo, but two busy weeks were spent in Shanghai making final preparations. Four months at sea on the Jubilee bound for London gave ample time for quietness, prayer, and meditation. Whether they were alone in their cabin by day or gazing into the starry heavens by night or taking a sunrise walk on the deck, never did their deepest fancy build for them an air castle equal to the reality of the future. True, they looked hopefully into the future, trusting for restored health, fellow missionaries, and a return to China. But never in those days did James Hudson Taylor have a thought of the true facts awaiting developments. China opened to the gospel, a mission of his own, simple style at work in the most distant provinces, 1,000 stations and outstations, over 1,000 missionaries, and more than 2,000 native evangelists, pastors, teachers, and Bible women, over $7 million put into his hands to help along the work of such a mission and that without a collection or single appeal for money. How could his faith ever have been enlarged or his imagination have been stretched to include such a growth of a work from his own humble beginning during those first few years in China? But the man whose life is traced in this little volume was simply a tool in the hands of the great master builder. It is he who causes the giant oak to spring forth from an insignificant little acorn. What great possibilities are wrapped up in young men and young women today, any lad or lassie who gives to Jesus the few loaves and fishes which he or she may possess, may see the multitudes fed. The five new workers for whom Mr. Taylor was praying were really found, some of whom lived to spend more than half a century in that great mission field. The going forth of the five to continue the work of Mr. and Mrs. Taylor only stimulated the faith of these two missionaries to ask for greater things. They tried to find societies at home who would undertake the evangelization 
of the inland provinces, but none were willing to do so at that time. While Mr. Taylor was pondering and praying over the matter, this suggestion came to his mind. If you see these things more clearly than others, why not go forward yourself and trust God to accomplish his purposes through you? Go yourself to inland China. If power and prayer be granted, what is to hinder your obtaining the man in the, in the means? Five have already been given for the Ningpo work. Why not a larger number to meet the greater need? With this conviction burning in his soul, Mr. Taylor swept away, slipped away quietly on Sunday morning, June 25, 1865, to the sands of the seashore near Brighton, heavenly burdened over the great responsibility. Then the thought came, suppose God does give a band of men for China, and they reach those inland regions, and should all die of starvation, or should they be killed in riots, would not friends at home blame him for taking them out? While he was in agonizing prayer over the matter, the Spirit of God spoke to him. Why burden thus? If you are simply obeying God, all the responsibility must be left with him and not with you. Very well, responded the waiting soul to this welcome assurance. Thou, Lord, shalt be responsible for them and for me too. In the quiet home of Mr. and Mrs. W.T. Berger at St. Hill, the foundation of the future mission was laid in long and prayerful talks over the important doctrines of the Word of God. Principles upon which the mission was to be conducted were as prayerfully thought out. Grace and guidance, men and means, faith and the fullness of the Spirit for this service, all were sought and found by this little company of men and women on their knees, who had been taught to trust in the simple promises of God and trusting to obey. They agreed that the mission should be un undenominational in that it should hold to no particular creed except the general principles of evangelical Christianity. And it was to be interdenominational in that workers would be accepted from all evangelical denominations. The policy of its founder, never to go into debt, was woven into the new mission and is still adhered to. It was to be called the China Inland Mission because its centers of operation were to be away from the coast, out in the interior provinces of China. Mr. Berger accepted the duties of home director. During the remainder of that year in the early spring of 1866, the mission was further developed and a party of missionaries were being prepared to enter the field. Chapter 19 39 More Years of Labor on the 26th of May, 1866, Mr. and Mrs. Taylor found themselves the leaders of a party of 22 missionaries, including all the children. They were embarked on the good ship Lammermere for China. Imagine the warm welcome they received a few months later from the little band at work in Ningpo. At once, they set about opening up new stations and within the next few years had working, working centers at Hangchow, Chinkiang, Yangchow, Shaoxing, Nanking, and many other important cities. But this was accomplished with no little sacrifice and suffering. At Yangchow especially did they encounter a riot which all but took their lives. In the spring of 1867, a messenger from the glory world called the eight-year-old little Grace Taylor to joys above. Aww. Three years later, the mother, Mrs. Hudson Taylor, followed her having been preceded two or three days by an infant son. Oh, 
With a heavenly smile and a looking right into the eyes of her husband, Mrs. Taylor said, You know, dearest, that for ten years past there has not been a cloud between my soul and my Savior. I cannot be sorry to go to him, but I grieve to leave you alone at this time. Perhaps I ought not to be sorry, though, for he will be with you and will supply all your need. And then she fell asleep in Jesus, July 23, 1870, and was buried at Chin Kiang by the side of her children who had gone on before. News from Mr. and Mrs. Berger gave evidence that the work at the home base was growing beyond their limits and strength, and this combined with other circumstances made a second return to England necessary for Mr. Taylor. The closing days of 1872 saw him again on the field. This time he was able to remain only a year or two, when the work of the mission and his own ill health demanded another trip to England. Though confronted all the years by riots, wars, deaths among the missionaries, shortage of funds, and many other obstructions, yet the work of the mission had grown to such a size that one could not help but recognize that God's hand was upon it. In 1880, there were 70 stations occupied by as many missionaries. But the increasing demands of the work required more men. So Mr. Taylor called a convention at Wu Chang, where many of the workers met him. They pledged themselves to pray for 70 more missionaries during the next three years, and at the end of that time the prayer was fully answered. Then in 1885 a blessing was added by the coming of seven graduates from Cambridge University. As Mr. Taylor could no longer direct this growing work without help, district superintendents were appointed in the different provinces. At the beginning of 1887 prayer was made for a hundred new workers during that year. And just before Christmas, the last detachment of that hundred were ready, hundred, were ready to depart for China. It was while Mr. Taylor was again in England that he was urged by a successful businessman in New York State to establish a branch of the CIM in North America. At first, the proposal was not hopeful, but a little later, another request came from Mr. Moody for Mr. Taylor to attend the student summer school at Northfield the following year. After this request, there came an invitation to take part in the Niagara Conference. These were accepted with no thought of results. But at any rate, a North American branch of the China Inland Mission was established, and later a branch in Scotland, in Sweden, and in Australia were great assets to the work, both in men and in money. Thus the mission, whose founder went out to China alone, a physically frail young man having neither a theological, a university, nor medical degree, and no financial backing except the divine promises between the covers of his pocket Bible, that mission, we are thankful to say, has never taken a backward step for lack of funds. Wow. It has steadily increased from one man and one station during a period of 68 years, or until January 1st, 1922. This is 100 years ago so that by the blessing of God the figures stand as follows. Missionaries 1,073, paid Chinese helpers 1,968, voluntary Chinese helpers 1,876, stations 251, outstations 1,633, chapels 1,332, hospitals 11, dispensaries 100, native schools 484. Baptisms, 86,831. 
Students in schools at Shefu for Children of the Missionaries, 300. Prayer, faith, sacrifice, and service. These were elements composing the good seed that was sown three so some three score and ten years ago. Having germinated, this seed grew into the wonderful mission which we see today. It is a lesson teaching us that God honors faith, answers prayer, and never fails those who attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Chapter 20 The Final Home Going While he was taking a rest in Switzerland, another great sorrow came into the life of our hero, occasioned by the death of his second wife, whose devotion to him and his God was most helpful in health and in sickness. Soon afterwards, early in 1905, he had a fervent desire again to visit China. His son and daughter-in-law, Dr. Howard and Geraldine Taylor, traveled with him. But so feeble was their father that at times it looked as though he could not outlive the voyage. But eventually the land of his adoption was reached. And after a brief stay in Shanghai, where he saw most of the members of the China Council, who had remained after their April sittings to meet him, he proceeded up the Yangtze River. The aged founder of the Inland Mission was determined to visit the once bitterly anti-foreign province of Hunan, Hunan, huh. in the heart of China, where he had never gone before. It was the last of the 18 provinces to be open to the gospel. A few missionaries were at work there now in the capital city of Changsha, and Mr. Taylor wanted just to go and see. Traveling by boat, by train, and by chair, the little party passed through very many places where their own missionaries were stationed, and at every place, the Chinese Christians especially bestowed great honor and respect upon their venerable pastor. Red satin banners containing golden characters were presented to him, one of which literally translated meant Inland China's Grace Man, another meant Benefactor of China, Still at another place in honor of his birthday, which came while there, a banner was given bearing the inscription, <clears throat> O Man Greatly Beloved. The little party of travelers were warmly welcomed into the mission home by their workers at Changsha on Thursday, the 1st of June. Friday they were conveyed in sedan chairs to different places of interest in the city, one of which was a lofty building in the highest part of the city wall. From here Mr. Taylor was charmed with the delightful view before him of the great city and of the mountains, plains, and rivers surrounding it. He also visited the site of several acres which the governor was giving for their medical mission. Saturday morning the venerable pastor addressed a congregation of Chinese who had assembled for worship. Dr. and Mrs. Keller planned a reception to give all the missionaries an opportunity of meeting this aged pioneer of the cross. He looked so fresh and nice, wrote Mrs. Geraldine Taylor afterwards, when he came down at four o'clock to greet the friends who were gathering. One by one they came and sat beside him, devoted workers representing six or seven different societies, over thirty in all, including our own CIM friends. After all had left, his son, Dr. Howard Taylor, persuaded him to go upstairs to rest, although he said he was not specially tired. When the evening meal was ready, as he did not feel inclined to go downstairs, a tray was carried to his room. Then the son helped him to bed and called his wife to sit with the aged man a little while. Mrs. Taylor was standing outside on the veranda. 
Of her experience at this time, she afterwards wrote, Twilight had fallen then, and darkness veiled the distant mountains and river. Here and there a few glimmering lights dotted the vast expanse of the gray-roofed city. All was silent under the starlit sky. Enjoying the cool and quietness, I stood al alone a while, thinking of Father. But oh, how little one realized what was happening then, or dreamed that in less than one half hour, our loved one would be with the Lord. Was the golden gate already swinging back on its hinges? Were the hosts of welcoming angels gathering to receive his spirit? Had the master himself arisen to greet his faithful friend and servant? Entering the room of the aged man, Mrs. Taylor found the lighted lamp on the chair beside his bed. He was leaning over with a letter in his hand and others spread out before him. Could you not read us something interesting while father has his tea? Asked she of her husband, knowing that would please the father. Taking up a book, the son asked, where did you leave off? And at once the father pointed out the exact place. His mind was still perfectly clear. But before sitting down, the son went to bring something else for the tray. Meanwhile, Mrs. Taylor was leafing through the pages of the missionary review at which the elderly man had been looking. Suddenly, the old missionary turned his head on the pillow and gave a little gasp. He did not speak, nor was he choking, nor distressed for breath. He did not seem conscious of anything then. The son and other friends were called. They came at once, but he was not, for God took him. The look of calm and rest that came over his face was wonderful. The weariness of years faded away in a few moments, and the very room seemed filled with unutterable peace. Gloriously translated on June 3, 1905, was James Hudson Taylor from Changsha, Hunan, the heart of China. It was certainly remarkable that he who had given his life to open the closed provinces of inland China should, ere he died, have been permitted to enter into the capital of the last province to be open to the gospel, and from that, the most appropriate spot on earth should be called to his everlasting reward. The Chinese Christians at that place would not be denied the privilege of making a gift of the most beautiful coffin that could be brought, bought in Changsha. They argued the Lord had brought him to Changsha and had permitted them to look upon his face. From their midst he had been translated to glory. Hunan Christians had been the last to hear his voice and to receive his blessing. Theirs must be the privilege of providing for his last needs. All that remained of the mission's founder was taken by boat to Chinking, the attendants being joined at different points on the way by other members of the mission. The long funeral procession at 7 o'clock on Friday morning, June 9, wended its way on foot to the English cemetery at the foot of the green hills near the river. In keeping with the Chinese custom to wear white at funerals, Mr. Taylor's two sons were dressed entirely in white, while other members of the mission wore a white scarf about the shoulders. The service at the grave was conducted by Mr. D. E. Host, Hosty, successor to Mr. Taylor as general director of the mission, after which Mr. Saunders gave an address in Chinese. Just as Mr. Taylor would have it, little about himself, but much about his master. The Methodist school for Chinese girls at Qingqing was represented by many of its young lady students dressed in white, who with their trained voices led the hymns 
Jesus, lover of my soul, and sleep on, beloved. The refrain of the latter being, good night. There you go. That's it. The end of our story. Very good. Very good. How could, I should say, how can people live like that today? Trusting God for every single thing. I do have to mention, um, I'm going to start next week with my own testimony. And I'm not going to rush through it. So it's not going to be just one episode. Um, not that I'm, you know, all that. <laughs> and have like so much to share. But I want to take my time through it because it's not finished. The Lord is very active these days. I have felt like I've been in a slump for 2021 and more about that later but um, there's he's doing some interesting things and this just occurred to me around three o'clock this morning some very interesting things so I'm not quite sure how this is going to progress and I hope I don't bore the snots out of everybody <laughs> um but i'm i'm thinking i'm going to do monday wednesday friday tuesday being just a day of rest um my plans are always yanked around thursday being the blog day um and i did link to the podcast site my blog site on WordPress, Professing Christians. And if you're, you know, if you want, <clears throat> you can check that out. It's kind of like a, I don't know, apologetics. I don't know what you'd call it. Or I, I don't know what you call it. Um, but no need to make this any longer than it already is. Um, I wanted to get it finished this week. I didn't want it to be just hanging out there. So there it is. So my plans are to pick this up on Monday and I'm kind of going to be just winging it from my very, very, very rough draft of a memoir. So um, that's the plan. So thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for listening to the end. His story really deserves to be told. It's just the amount of trust in one man and what was accomplished in one man. I am going to go now and Google um, the China Inland Mission in Hunan or wherever and see if it's still out there. So with that, I will leave you go and I pray you have a blessed day.